Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action blo- auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground. This is the place where we speak truth to power and ourselves. A good, good Saturday evening to you all. I hope that you are comfortable. And if you are looking to connect with us, you can come into our open chat room, which becomes quite vigorous at times, at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. That's blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG to be a part of our community. We are here each Saturday evening at 10 p.m., and we're very, very pleased uh, to have you with us. It's been a huge and very active news week this week, and in at the top of the hour, we'll be uh, sharing with you the Our Common Ground news. But uh, before we begin our program, where we are visiting with um, a very special guest, Carmen Del Rosario, who is the director and the founder 
of Roots of Transformation. Uh, she is going to be with us. Uh, she is a 20-year professional with experience working in the field of violence against women and children with both government and development organizations, community networks, and institutions in the United States, El Salvador, Rwanda, Burundi, Dominican Republic, Tanzania, the Congo, and Liberia. And we're going to be talking with her about, as an activist and an educator, how do you challenge violence in violent-torn regions in Africa and the lessons learned from the work that she does as an activist and as a professional educator in the field of violence. But before we begin, we want to let you know that we are coming into this program tonight, and here's the situation. Here's the truth that you must carry with you all week. Zero of the 12 major voter suppression laws, which were enacted in 2012 and 13, remain on the books. The statistics continue to be borne out from the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement Report of 2012, 28 black men continue to be killed in America every day. Guantanamo Bay continues to have prisoners. Asada Shakur remains on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Clarence Thomas remains on the Supreme Court. Scott Walker, Chris Christie, Bobby Jindal, and Mr. Scott of Florida remain to be governors in these United States of America. Dick Cheney, Donald Rosen, uh, Rumsfeld, and George W. Bush are not in jail for crimes against humanity and for lying to the American people in an official capacity. The Bank of America, Chase Bank, and Wells Fargo continue to operate in these United States in the mortgage banking business. That is how we come into this broadcast tonight. In our second hour, we're going to be talking about Bill Clinton. Yes, yes. Uh, it has always galled me that I'm always being challenged or required to vote the, for the lesser evil. It's still evil, and Bill Clinton is at the top of the list. Problem is that the system has made it so that we criticize the Trojan horses we sound like Republicans, but that couldn't be any further from the truth. When you start understanding the vultures of Wall Street, when you start understanding the Republican goals, then you start to understand the game of good cop, bad cop. So here we are, backing 
probably another Clinton, another Demublican with no alarms set off, and we are back to the lesser of the evil. We'll be talking about uh, Bill Clinton and um, a report that was filed in the Nation of Change, Bill Clinton and Steny Hoyer. Wall Street Democrats are fighting back. They're talking about reducing the deficit. We'll also be uh, talking about what Kobe Bryant had to say and how black people in the news are now blacksplaining. And I'll explain to you in the second hour what blacksplaining is. We'll also be uh, talking with you about a news story that caught my eye, and it was a father who caught his daughter, his stepdaughter actually, uh, in showering with her boyfriend in their anthem's home. The daughter 16, the boyfriend six, uh, 16 as well, and this man essentially uh, beat up the boy. There are a couple of features of that story that are interesting, and we hope that uh, you will stay with us in the second hour to talk about those things. Um, we're going to go into our program and hope that our um, guests will be joining us shortly. Thank you again for joining us here at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we affect the truth, transforming it to power in this sanctuary, one broadcast at a time. Thank you for being with us. Call a friend. Email a friend. You can go to our Facebook page, and you can email. You can share our event for tonight at OCG Talk Radio. Women who survived the mass rape of hundreds of women by rebels in eastern Congo last month have begun describing the horror of their experience. The atrocity happened around the village of Luvungi near Valikale. At the same time, this program has gained access to Congolese soldiers who've gone through a pioneering reform scheme in the town of Bukavu. Once rapists themselves, they now recognize their crimes. Viewers may find this report by our international editor, Lindsay Hilson, very distressing. The survivors of mass rape around the village of Lovungi last month speak of an ordeal so dreadful it's hard to listen to their stories. More than 280 women were gang-raped by militiamen in the forests of eastern Congo. They came with torches when they entered the house and they beat us using those torches. They would beat us for a long time. After they raped us, they would walk out and we would do our best to escape into the bush. Sometimes we would have to crawl on the ground while they would rape others until dawn. They would also sometimes follow us into the forest or wherever we are hiding at night. And if we were found, they would then rape us again. And that's how they managed to rape all the women of Lovungi. Nearby UN peacekeepers failed to protect the women. Their bosses in New York say they'll do better next time. 
But what about the rapists? Sexual violence is endemic. Under the international gaze, Congolese soldiers are on their best behavior, but all sides rape in this brutal conflict. Now a few Congolese soldiers in a retraining program have been pushed into reflecting on their actions. When I saw a woman, it was like seeing food because of spending so many days without any sex. I often asked women to let me have sex with them, which sometimes they did against their will for fear of their lives. I could call that rape. We did all sorts of things to women just because we felt we were in a position of power and there weren't going to be any consequences. We took advantage of their vulnerability, knowing they couldn't defend themselves. We were using our power to abuse women physically and sexually. I agree that forcing women to do things against their will is wrong. However, the isolation of life in the war in the forest that we're living is partly to blame for our behavior towards women. It meant we had no mercy. The soldiers who aren't participating in the rape would stand and cheer, enjoying witnessing such an act. This normally encouraged more and more soldiers to rape women. Sometimes it starts with one soldier raping a woman and then it ends up with a gang rape. And that's why I say it's like evil spirits are making us treat women in this way. I now believe that this training will prevent these things from ever happening again. Rape victims near the town of Bukavu learn hygiene and childcare and receive trauma therapy, as will the victims of the most recent atrocities. There are many projects to help them earn a living by, for example, making roof tiles. But nothing will really change in the Democratic Republic of Congo until there are more projects to make men change their attitude. For women like Solange, bringing up a child of rape, it's been a long nightmare. She's been raped four times in the last nine years of conflict. I believe the war is the cause of all this. I started school at six and got married at 17, and for all those years I never heard of anybody who got raped or killed by a Congolese soldier. We only started getting rape cases in 1994 when Rwandan forces and militia came over the border. I've always advised and encouraged others who have been raped. I often tell them to be resilient because even if they went through the ordeal of rape, they should still be grateful to be alive. She's called her child Esperanza, meaning hope, something she tells other women who've been raped that they should still somehow try to feel. Lindsay Hilson, just a couple of things in brief. The government. Africa has a long-standing tradition of incredibly unequal power between men and women. This has led to an extremely high rate of violence against women. Violence in Africa against women, as in many countries, begins in childhood. The act of female genital mutilation. Rape is used as a powerful tool in violence against women. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we are pleased to present to you one woman who has taken on the challenge of violence against women and children in Africa.
Working with Men to Teach Peace and Love. Carmen Del Rosario is the founder of Roots of Transformation. Over the last 10 years, she has worked in Rwanda, the Congo, Tanzania, Liberia, and she is now headed to Mali to address the issues of peace for women and children in war zones and the most violent torn regions of Africa. She is the former director of the Boston Health Commission's programs against domestic violence. She's a former chair of the board of the Jane Doe Project and the Mass Coalition for Domestic Violence. Her work is often dangerous and her sacrifices very personal. Tonight at Our Common Ground, Carmen Del Rosario, Roots of Transformation, Changing a Nation for Its Women and Children. joining us on our common ground. I am so pleased, my sister, to have you with us. Hi. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, I have been looking forward to having you on these airwaves for so many years. And I, I, I do want to say, before we get into our discussion about your work, Welcome home. It is so good to have you home. And I know that you have a split life, that home is here in Boston, but home is also there where you have come to love and to live with women and children and men who need you. Thank you. Thank you. I am happy to be here, too. Let's start off, Carmen, by talking about your work uh, around your both your domestic work and your work in regions of Africa. Um, and I do want to let the audience know that over the past eight years, you've been working in in East Africa, Central Africa, Eastern Congo, Liberia, developing, coordinating, and implementing programs to respond to survivors of gender-based violence, uh, setting up women's empowerment programs as well as prevention initiatives with men from a lot of different backgrounds, including refugees, religious leaders, traditional leaders, the police, the UN, and, and that you have developed a number of intervention and prevention programs providing technical support to uh, other partnerships that are there on the ground with you. Tell us about how you began to do this work around violence. Well, again, uh, thank you very much for 
uh, this opportunity of sharing with you all about this um, experience. Um, I had I started working around uh, the issue of violence and violence against women and children uh, here in in America uh, for I mean over 20 years ago. Um, working at different uh, different levels, uh, I started working actually in uh, providing direct services to survivors of violence. Um, and directing program, as you mentioned, uh, within the Department of Public Health. Um, that experience uh, helped me to to learn and to make the connections connections with how violence affects health, the health of people, uh, especially the health of women. Um, so I have been privileged and honored with the opportunity of having a job here, but also taking uh, time, taking my vacation time and going abroad, uh, especially going to Africa uh, and Central America. Uh, at a certain point, I realized that um, I wanted to do this full time, and I gave up my job here of, as I said, 10 years directing uh, this program and decided to to go back to Africa, what I keep calling full time. Um, the, the motivation, what really got into my heart was that I wanted to share. Uh, I strongly believe that knowledge knowledge and experiences die with you when you die, but when you share those, they stay alive. And uh, learning, especially in Rwanda, uh, when I went to Rwanda, I went to Rwanda the first time, it was in 1996. It was two years after the genocide, but trust me that uh, when you go there six, two years later, it looks like it was the day before. So. Uh, learning and uh, talking and uh, listening to survivors and perpetrators of violence uh, got, got into my heart that I wanted to, that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I, I've been privileged with the opportunity of doing the work on my heart and, uh, as I said, uh, sharing, sharing and learning. Uh, and and uh, being in places where I know that not too many people are willing to go, but the need is greater. So again, um, the mo the biggest motivation I had in my heart and I still have is uh, to share. Now, one of the things that stands out most uh, for me about some some of the work that you have done is that you were one of the first uh, people who dealt with issues of domestic violence in this country that developed a program which specifically targeted rather than isolated batterers and perpetrators. Mm -hmm. And, Carmen, I can remember the first time back in 19, 
1999. Yeah, that I heard you say that violence in families is a matter of life and death. Yes. And and you meant that on a number of dimensions. But talk about how you made the connection that we in this country and any country, when talking about violence in families and communities, cannot isolate and be neglectful of treating both women and children, but also treating men. Mhm, mhm. Well, I I could go back again um, to 1999, uh, and that's when uh, here and actually I I could say it, uh, in America that's when uh, we started uh, looking at the working with men from the prevention perspective. And uh, when I was directing the, the domestic violence program here, being, being uh, in a, in a, within the public health, uh, the idea of using prevention as a perspective uh, came to mind. But let me tell you why that came to mind. It came to mind because when we learned that at that time, I'm not sure how, what the percentage is now, it must be bigger, but that 75% of the men who are in jail are black men. And, you know, you could, you could call it brown men, black men, I'll call it black men, uh, 75%. And then putting that number together with my own experience of supporting survivors and going to the legal system here and looking at the different treatment that the legal system provides to a perpetrator if he's white or if he's black. Uh, learning that, again, firsthand, that if the perpetrator is white, he probably has a lawyer and he's probably going to go free. But if the guy or the perpetrator is a black man, he's probably going to get a restraining order and he's going directly to jail. So that's something that it was in my mind all the time. And looking at how and addressing violence against women, we also were perpetuating racism. And that we can talk about that forever. But the idea, and, and again, you know, I was a member of all these boards of, uh, batteries intervention programs, and looking at we have in this country still today, we have two systems. We have the, the perpetrator uh, batteries intervention programs. It means men comes uh, with a tag on the front hood saying that they are perpetrators, or we have the legal system. We have the police, and we have the jail. Yeah, I mean, men are going to prison. And, you know, looking at, okay, what else? Most, there's something else that probably we could do to respond to those issues. So the idea of working with men as men, as, as, uh, as human beings, came, came alive. And um, we created, for the, it was the first program, and I would say the first program in America, that it started looking at men as human beings. 
um, not as perpetrators, but again as men created by God, humans. And looking at from where, how can we support, how can we work with people as people and looking at what it is, what all, what are those issues that are affecting them. So we uh, did, uh, we received funding for five years to do a demonstration project. And as you know, when here in America, when you call demonstration project, it is that, okay, you're going to do it, you're going to demonstrate it, whatever it is that you're demonstrating, and then we're going to forget about And uh, it, it happened that, you know, then you put a beautiful report in a fire cabinet, and then you're going to say, we demonstrated. Uh, but in this case, because this came uh, from from my heart, I would say, and, and it came uh, as a mission. I'm going to put it that way. You can define what that means if you want, but it was a mission that it was given to me, like, okay, I decided that, no, we are not going to just leave it there as a, as a record. So um, I decided when, again, I, I, I mentioned before that I was going back and forth to different countries, but when I decided to to stay in Africa, um, I talked to my people here, and I said, listen, uh, I definitely would like to take this with me because it's still in the fire cabinet. And I was very happy when the person in charge said to me, that's yours. And I said, what? She said, yeah, you brought that here, you take it. I said, that's a wonderful thing. Thank you very much. So I took it to Africa. And um, when I first, uh, I was working in uh, Tanzania, and as you know, Tanzania has been one of the uh, bigger countries around the world receiving uh, refugees. At that point, when I arrived there, we had uh, 250,000 refugees, and I was developing a GBV program in seven different refugee camps. And that's when I brought this working with men as human beings, as I keep calling, uh, for the first time. And the, the program was implemented, well received, and translated to Swahili, which is the uh, the uh, language that people, most people talk and uh, speak in Tanzania. The, then, you know, again, um, because this program is not looking at men as perpetrators um, is, is, is actually looking at root cause from where it is that we learn what we learn and uh, what information it is that we receive as children and uh, those information are giving us a way of thinking and the way of thinking is giving us the behavior. So this program is looking at Again, what information you receive and what is the way of thinking about self and what is the way of thinking about other. So, again, that's helping people to challenge their own belief about self. And, uh, for example, children who grow up thinking you're stupid, you are no good, you're good, you are, you know, you are not going to 
dwell in life, uh, or you have a course, you are you have bad luck, you have all the things. This this uh, program is working again together with people to help them to see or to think differently. Uh, the the issue of the different roles or different different uh, dynamics between men and women, uh, how men and, and and again when I talk about men, I talk also about society in general. Look at women as objects. Look at women as less than, no intelligence, uh, and then looking them as superior. But then looking at what the religious book says about the way God created all, all of us equal. So there's lots of discussion about that, lots of uh, self-challenging uh, in, ter- in terms of the way of thinking. And again, first of all, the way of thinking about self. Because the way you think about yourself is what's going to help you to think uh, or to, to create the framework in which you're going to think about other people. Mm-hmm. Um, in Congo, for example, um, we have groups with men, which I could say um, that probably 90 or 95 percent of the participants in the groups were criminals. Um, but they didn't come to the group as criminals. They came to the group as men, as fathers, as uh, religious leaders. And uh, the idea, again, was for them to to look at themselves, to look at from where they learn what they learn and how um, it was possible for them to change the way they think. Um, I can give an example. Um, and again, you know, I think you mentioned this, that this had been implemented with religious leaders, and I talk about uh, different religions uh, together. Uh, with peacekeeper, UN peacekeeper, and with national police, especially in Congo. Uh, some of the participants in the group in Congo were rebels, former rebels. I, for example, one of the guys said, I was a uh, child soldier since I was eight years old uh, until I was 25. So I always remain, remember, he said, Madame. What do you want me to do now? Uh, so we have discussion about those things. And the whole thing about prevention of violence against women and children, and I would say prevention of violence in general, need to involve everybody. We cannot just take one sector of the society uh, and to target them and say, okay, you are the perpetrator, you are the victims, and therefore, now we are okay. No. Everybody needs to participate. Everybody needs to be involved in uh, this uh, transformation that I talk about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Carmen, one of the things I'm sure members of the audience want to hear more from you in talking about, I mean, when you think about, uh, a, a woman leaving her home and going and deciding to live and work in the Congo at the time that you were at the Congo and, and still and, and still continuing, and we played the clip 
um, at the beginning of the broadcast about what the situation is in the Congo relative to uh, rape as a tool of violence against women and that kind of oppression. What was the situation when you went to Tanzania facing rebels who had come over the border from the Congo and going into the Congo? When when you say you met with groups of men who had simply been perpetrators of the kind of crime that we heard about, how did you begin to organize how yourself in terms of finding a space and a place for teaching a new way of thinking about self and the people around you? Well, I think I, that's, a, that's a big, big question. And um, the uh, I could start by saying that I... I have been trying or doing, um, practicing uh, what I'm trying to preach. In terms of uh, breaking the bias, uh, going over my own way of thinking, and going through some sort of transformation, in order, I think that in order for us to talk about what we like to see in other people, and I know this is a very uh, famous thing that you know Gandhi said, you know, you need to be, to be you need to, to to be the change you want to see, and all the things. But I I strongly believe on that. So I give credit to to some sort of higher spiritual development uh, and looking at people. Again, uh, without classifying them or without judging them, but rather taking people places and also trying to understand from where people coming from. And then, you know, I have colleagues, I have people that say to me, how can you say that when someone is a rapist? Uh, and I'm never going to say it is easy. Uh, for myself, you know, as I said earlier, I started working here supporting survivors, women, survivors of violence. Mm-hmm. And then crossing, and then, you know, in Rwanda, working with survivors of the genocide, uh, women who were brutally raped. And then, as you say, going to Tanzania with some of these perpetrators, they went to refugee camps in Tanzania. And then in Congo, again, some of those rebels from from those places were in Goma, where I was based doing this work. And, and looking at one moment the women, survivors, and at the other moment looking at the perpetrator of violence of those terrible crimes. And I could say that, and actually I said this at some point, I was and a mirror of good and evil. And that, I see that as an enormous privilege. Uh, why? Because I was there, no 
to make judgment, but to try to to share, to understand from where people are coming from. And I think that at the moment when you start looking at people as human, and, and people could talk, um, people could say, oh, she's so naive or what, 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 but let's talk about that. I, I think I, I am on a certain level where I look at people as human. Uh, I know as saints, as perfect people, but rather as human beings who learn what they learn and they're practicing what they're practicing. And, for example, when I, talk, when I work with a group of fathers, that's what I talk about. I say, okay, you learn what you learn from your father or from the men around you, and now what it is that you're teaching your children. Because you need to remember that you are creating memory for your children. Whatever, you, whatever you're teaching to them today, that's what they're going to be tomorrow, the same way you are today for what they learned from when you were a child. So now you have the power to change that history, that the history you are teaching to your children. So, again, looking at a man who I know, he's a criminal, and looking at that man with compassion and saying to him, he has value, and he looked at me and said, what do you mean I have value? I said, yes, he has value for your family, for yourself first and your family and your society and your country. So what it is that you're going to do about that? I strongly believe, and people could challenge me, I'm ready for challenges, that people behave and people, uh, yeah, behave according to what they know, what they learn. Until they find a way that going to challenge that, and they're going to give a different way of thinking. Um, for example, again, this man who told me that he was a soldier, child soldier, he was taken by force from his family, and he was in the jungle of Congo all these years, killing, raping, stealing. That's what he learned. And he's a criminal. Yes, he is. And he's a, he's a victim. Yes, he is. So when we talk about survivors and victims and perpetrators, I don't think any longer that it's a very clear cut or it's a mm-hmm. black and white as people want it to be. Who is the criminal? Who is this victim? Who is the perpetrator? I think we need to go to the roots of things to to really, to really understand those issues. As you talk, Carmen, one of the things, and, and you know, you and I and most of the audience already knows you pretty well because I talk about you often, especially when you are away on this broadcast. And most people know that you are my dear, dearest and closest friend. And I do want to say publicly that I miss you so much and I worry for you so much when you are away. And I'm just so glad to have had you home when you, uh, over these few weeks. Um, uh, but when you talk about these things, when you talk about the model that you have developed in working with <clears throat> criminals, 
to try to reconstitute them into the community um, where, where you are in the communities that you are working with their families and with the rest of the community, it sounds to me, and I've said it over and over, as an outstanding model for what in this country we need to be doing and setting up programs for reentry for all of the men and women who have been incarcerated um, <clears throat> in this country. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we have uh, programs which really reconstitute people. I don't think in our communities we have truth and reconciliation in our communities, in the black community, and I don't think that we have appropriately thought through how we think about the people who have offended our community, whether it be uh, corrupt uh, officials like um, um, my dear friend Chuck Turner and Diane Wilkerson returning from federal prison after being incarcerated for uh, corruption in in public office or uh, whether it be Jesse Jackson Jr. when he returns back to the community. Those are three people that I think about who have such incredible resources to lend to our community that we can't afford to lose, but at the same time, your model offers truth and reconciliation for people like that. We are not going into our own Congos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes, and, and I think I agree with you 100%. And I think that one of the reasons why um, many, many things are not working in our country is because we have been trying to force people or to impose to people our own, uh, what we think is right, what we think is wrong. We have been, uh, again, uh, putting putting our names and tags on people's, uh, uh, but we are not doing the work of self. People need to, when we talk about truth and reconciliation, it's not necessary to be done with the other people, with the wife, with the friend, with the husband, with the neighbor. It has to be with self first. Mm-hmm. There's so many, so many broken spirits. So many, so many broken. I don't know how to describe it better. Self. I mean, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who are. I mean, when we talk, for example, we talk about forgiveness. People keep talking about you have to forgive him. He has to forgive her, but what about forgiving yourself? And there's lots of work, and, and this is a very sensitive thing for the African culture. When we talk about self, I mean, self is more than, than you serve, obviously, because self is also your community, is part of your self. But you have to, to do that work within yourself first. And one of, I need to say one of the challenges that I often have with these groups is that people in the group at the beginning, they are eager to learn 
to go to teach to somebody else. And I keep saying, no, this is not a training where you learn how to say something or do something to go to teach. And actually, this is not for somebody else. This is for you. So kind of like putting people back in all the time, that's one of the bigger challenges at the beginning. Why? Because we are not used to look at ourselves. We are used to and trained by our culture, our society, our religions, our mother, our father. We are used to look for, uh, look at uh, outside, look at the other. And so many people are not dealing with one of the things that keep coming to mind is forgiveness and and uh, how to forgive yourself. And mm-hmm. we call it the guilt all the time about uh, how how we don't do that work. And and again, you know, talking about love, I I uh, when we talk about love in this on this uh, program, uh, actually love is one of the center of our. Uh, the core of this program, and I strongly, I personally, me, I personally believe that most of the problems that we have today in our society and our communities is because there's no love. Uh, and when we talk about love in general, people, the first thing that people that bring to mind is the love between a man and a woman. And I'm not talking about that love. I'm talking about love, period. Uh, loving people. Loving people that you don't know, loving people on the street, loving, you know, have love for self and love for other people. And when you understand, when you understand all of that, actually those are the elements that need to be in place when we do talk about violence prevention. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you brought this up, Carmen, because one of the things that I have found in community, community organizing, yes, folks, community organizing like Barack Obama used to do, uh, is that that so many people are there in the interest of themselves that they lose sight that community is about a collective journey and Uh collective purpose and mission. Yes. And you don't, and you, you know, for instance, if something happens in a community and you all know that this is true. If something happens in the community, the the governor or the, the mayor is not doing the right thing, everyone who comes together, and one of the reasons you have capitalists who are always on the scene is because they are looking to their economic interest. interests yeah. rather than the interests of the community at large which is why you don't see, you all get ready for it because you know I'm going to say it. You don't Mm. see black businesses. You don't see uh, black public um, uh, employees protesting, Mm -hmm. telling the truth, reporting what's going on, unless it's about, whether they're getting increases or promotions or not getting enough of the city contracts. Because there is really no love for children mm-hmm. that works in the way that you're talking about it, Carmen. Exactly. Um, you know, so one of the things, Carmen, I do want to, I want to talk more about this. We've got to take a break. But when we come back, I'd also like to talk about 
government, how we get government out of our business so that we can reconcile, so that we can tell the truth, so that we can build models that work for us. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. If you'd like to join our chat room, it's blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG and write this down. We're, meet, we're talking with Carmen Del Rosario. She's the founder and co-director of Roots of Transformation, and we're going to be talking about her organization uh, in this second hour. Uh, she has... Uh, worked in the fields of violence against women and children for 20 years in places like El Salvador, Rwanda, Burundi, Dominican Republic, Tanzania, the Republic of the of the the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Liberia. And if you'd like to talk with her, our number is 347-838 9852 and we'll take your calls with her right after this break. They got no homes, they got no food, they got no medicine, they got no support from anywhere, so they really feel hopeless. The UN have sent a troop to Goma, but I really don't think it's going to help at all because where the women and children are, it's very dangerous for the UN to reach. Hundreds of thousands of people in East Congo have been affected. Without help from the government and the international community, many of these people will die. For the rest, the violence, hunger, and diseases will continue. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You strike a woman, you strike a rock. Many taking a journey create a path. Don't count the many times we fall, but the times we rise up. For a river that forgets its source. Will dry out. I am the source of that. She is the source of that. We Africa. are the source of that. You are the source. We will overcome. Stop the violence. Stop abuse. Hear our cry. The strength of a nation is in the ear and on the lips. Let's cross the line together. Should we fight back? Should we just swallow? Agriculture, there are no tax loopholes being closed. They are protecting the wealthy with a half-hearted assist from Wall Street Democrats, President. The same people who will not allow bills to be passed to build, rebuild our infrastructure voted $50 billion to rebuild Iraq's infrastructure, $100 billion to rebuild Afghanistan's infrastructure. 
but not a dime for the United States. These are the traitors of this nation because they aren't in power. See the same thing. We can be as badass as we want. We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals, our banks destroy the economy. The inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression, and you can go down the line. You can go down the line. The Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio, 10 p.m. Friday. Truth Works Network, the Alpha Show. Alpha Show. An Our Common Ground news brought to you by Our Common Ground. You first heard it here this week that the Affordable Care Act has finally received and exceeded hmm? over 6 million enrollees. The White House denied the claims that we first reported to you. Now the White House has come out with a statement saying... The President Obama convened a conference call with the healthcare navigators and volunteers helping with enrollment efforts and announced that more than 6 million Americans have signed up for private health insurance plans through the federal and state marketplaces since October 1. The deadline for enrollment is March 31st. If you are not enrolled, there are penalties, a financial penalty that will be levied by the IRS. I'm April Ryan, AURN.com. Investing in our community, investing in ourselves. The theme of the Black Women's Roundtable Women of Power Summit in Washington, D.C. Everything we're doing is about organizing and training and action so we can leave here with our marching orders. Summit convener, Melanie Campbell. She says black women fail to come together. So we have women from state leadership that is here as well as national leadership because if we come together collectively and strategize, we can get that much further ahead. The Black Women's Roundtable also released a report that took a close look at where black women stand on a number of issues, including health, education, economic, and global empowerment. Campbell says the most startling finding was... Black women work our whole life, and we still end up with average wealth of $100. Melanie Campbell with the Black Women's Roundtable. I'm DeSondra Harris. For the 100 people serving these life sentences without parole from the time they were juveniles will now have a chance to receive a resentencing hearing with a judge. Joby Kate, senior fellow at Human Rights Watch, responds to an Illinois ruling that will retroactively re-examine all state cases where a juvenile was sentenced to life in prison. Kate says the ruling could reverse the harsh sentencing laws of the 80s and 90s in the state. 
the 86 or 87 percent of the folks who are serving these sentences in Illinois are, are people of color, moms and dads and, and grandparents and sisters and brothers. And these are people who would welcome their children home um, even 20, 30 years later. The ruling upheld that courts may not place mandatory life sentences on children under 18. Joby Cates, Human Rights Watch fellow, says in addition to being inhumane, juvenile life sentences are discriminatory. It's a disproportionate sentence. So if you um, commit uh, felony murder as a 15-year-old and you get life without parole, you'll, you'll die in prison. You will spend probably more than 50 years in prison. If you're 50 years old and you commit the same crime, your sentence is, is tiny by comparison. Cynthia Levy, AURN.com. A collection of 10 works published between 1772 and 1864 by some of the most influential African Americans of the time are being released in a new ebook called Slave Narratives. These narratives are sort of the foundation or the bedrock of African American literature. That's Professor William Andrews, one of the editors of the publication. He's also an English professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Andrews says that the narratives are a part of American history. They teach us that uh, slavery in America was a hugely influential institution. It was an institution that profoundly defined what America was. Sojourner Truth, Harriet Jacobs, and Nat Turner, just a few of the autobiographies featured in the collection. Not to understand American slavery is to be deeply ignorant of, of our history and not to understand it from the standpoint of those who lived it and wrote about it uh, is to have a, a very uh, partial and skewed notion of our history. Professor William Andrews. Slave Narratives is available in ebook through the Library of America. Allegra Johnson, AURN.com. And now back to Our Common Ground. From the fires of the civil rights movement of the 60s, and as a sociologist and academic leader, he is a witness from the bridge. She is Dr. Joyce A. Ladner. Her scholarship offers a thesis of a conceptual framework that black people must formulate their own definitions and concepts of social phenomena from a perspective untainted by ethnocentricity and cultural arrogance of those who seek to compare aspects of black culture to a white middle class model. Joyce Ladner has served as a key commentator on national social issues She's appeared on such news programs as CBS Evening News, NBC Evening News, Nightline, and McNeil Lehrer News Hour. She has written books which include Tomorrow's Tomorrow, The Black Woman, The Ties That Bind, Timeless Values for African American Families and Mixed Families, and she co-wrote The New Urban Leaders, and the death of white sociology, of which she was the editor. At Howard University, she worked for the Academic Affairs Office, served as Vice President of Academic Affairs, and in 1994 was made Interim President, becoming the first woman to hold the position at Howard University. She is a sociologist, an author, an outstanding and innovative academic and educational leader, making her mark in black history and black progress. She is a witness 
from the bridge. Dr. Joyce A. Ladner on Our Common Ground. March 29th, 10 p.m. live. Witness from the bridge, Dr. Joyce A. Ladner. Join us. program scheduling change. Dr. Joyce A. Ladner, Witness from the Bridge, will be with us next Saturday, April 5th, here at Our Common Ground. Our Common Ground, alternative activists in our talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. At this very moment, you are standing in the eye of a hurricane, and you're going to pretend. You think that White House is going to protect you? You're not the fixer here. You're the problem. You're a client. You're my client. Thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. As we talk about teaching peace, and love in violent, torn Africa. Uh, Our guest tonight is Carmen Del Rosario. She served as the director of the Boston Public Health Commission's domestic violence program for 10 years. She was a pioneer in developing strategies to engage boys and men in positive ways to prevent violence and to promote healthy relationships. In 2000. In the year 2000, under her leadership, domestic violence programs received funding from the CDC to develop, implement, and evaluate a five-year demonstration project working with men as fathers, and she has taken that program to Tanzania, to the Congo, and to Liberia, and she is on her way uh, to Mali to begin to implement her model in that country, and we thank her so very much, my dear, dear, loving friend. I want you to know, especially you women out there, you could Mm -hmm. never have a friend who has taught you more about loving and being family to each other as women, as Carmen Del Rosario has taught me, and I thank her from the very bottom of my heart, and I thank her for her personal sacrifice that she has made to go into the motherland to to try to make a change in what is happening there. Carmen, thank you so much, and thank you again for joining us. We do have a caller coming out of the break. It's the top of the hour from 267. Carmen, you ready to take some calls? Yes, I am. (laughs) Thank you so much. 267, you're on the air with Carmen Del Rosario of Roots of Transformation. Good evening, and good evening to you, um, Ms. Graham, for your program and for hosting this program. And I want to very much thank Carmen Del Rosario for her work and her work for challenging violence 
um, and, and ending violence and working with men in the situation of ending violence against women. And I just wanted to add that one of the things that I am doing my um, PhD dissertation on is looking at how women in Ghana um, use legislation and trying to change public policy because violence was um, considered like a private matter. Domestic violence happens in the home has nothing to do with anyone else. And so they were trying to say violence in the home is the aspect of violence in the community and, um, and, and, and violence in the world. And it is not a private matter. It should be a public matter, and it should be something that we can um, that we should ban, that we should have uh, laws against. Now, that doesn't change violence, so they include it with it, education, education of young boys and education of young girls. And so the whole the emphasis of changing the way violence is viewed um, is a very important aspect of what they're doing in Ghana. You're absolutely right, and I, I want to direct your, your comments to Carmen, especially in that she has worked with so many non-governmental organizations, and she has this model for that she has brought into countries that have, have really done very little to address the issue. Carmen? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the... Again, you know, thank you for for your comment. Um, and the um, the issue of looking at violence in general, it is definitely uh, we need to start by looking at violence uh, from the roots, um, as we call it, the you know the roots of violence. We need to look at from where from where that um, started at the first place. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is that I agree with you that violence at home, um, every sort of violence is started at home. And I'm saying that because that's what uh, violence people learn at early age. And, and, and uh, early, I mean, uh, the 90, early, late 90s, here we started uh, this program called Peace at Home. And part of this, the Roots of Transformation program also is looking at peace in the world needs to begin at home. We cannot have any peace anywhere if there's no peace at home. Uh, individuals are violent because that's what they learn. And violence continues because uh, people who who need to participate and to do something about it, they don't. Uh, and there's no way, no matter where it is, that the issue of violence, and, and let me just be clear here. When I talk about violence, I'm not limiting the violence at home or the violence uh, in the community. I'm talking about global violence, every type of violence, including being poor, poverty, it's a violence. Uh, lack of education for our children, our black kids, our poor kids, uh, that's a violence. So uh, violence at war, violence in the community, uh, violence at home. 
So we cannot talk about one without talking about the other. They are all connected. Uh, and that's, a, that's again, I, I'm going to keep saying that we need to start by looking at the roots. But also when we're talking about prevention of violence, it's no responsibility of one group or the other. We all need to be involved. Uh, member of the family, member of the community, the government, the systems. And, and remember when we talk about system, though, people, we talk about government, we talk about system as they are one person. But those are individuals who are participants, we are members of those systems. When we talk about, for example, the education system, they are individuals, they are men and women who are those systems. And the government, who are the members, who are the individuals of those people who are really uh, not uh, giving priorities or prioritizing of the issue of most of the people because, again, as you said, sir, violence is a personal matter. You know, as, as you're saying, it's not. It's no longer. We cannot afford to look at violence as it's none of my business. Why? Because violence affecting all of us. And remember, we're talking about different type of violence that we all are have been affected all over the place. Let me let me let me try to run something by both of you. And that is I, I know that the caller is talking about um violence in Ghana is addressing violence in Ghana. You're about to address violence in Mali. You've mm-hmm. been working in Liberia. Um, but I don't see this kind of uh, overarching theme of all violence being a contributor to the kind of violence we see in men and boys against women in this country. I'll give you an example. Let me run this by you. Mm-hmm. The increasing militarization of local police departments. Mm-hmm. What could be the response of a society of children who recognize that bigger weapons, uh, all, damn near drones running up and down our streets, in poor communities, and what does that mean and how does it translate into how they think about their personal power? The, uh, okay, go ahead, Sam. Caller, 267. Yes, yes, I'm here. I was, um, I was listening to the response. So our, if I understand you right, you're talking about how violence is um, on all levels and how, how it is in our, our streets and for our young people, how they see and mm-hmm. react to violence. Uh-huh. The, 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 the icons and the images of damn near war going on in the inner cities of American communities. Mm-hmm. The more power that has been given to local police departments, for instance. Is that something that contributes? I mean, it, it, we're, Carmen, when you were in the Dominic, uh, 
in the uh, in the Congo. Mm-hmm. When you look at what's going on in Ghana in terms of military control, you can clearly see how a culture of violence is being perpetrated. But I don't think in this country we are seeing how that culture is being perpetrated. Yes, I, I think oh. I, I... Are you... I say because of the technology, this is the caller, um, that, um, that the, the technology, the, the, the TV, the, um, the radio, what our children see is a constant stream of violence and violence as entertainment and violence as fun. And they're losing, as a society, we're losing compassion for each other and outrage at the, the, the acts that we see. And our children play games of violence, and we are flooded with um, negative images and, um, throughout. We, violence is glorified. And so, therefore, we can't expect anything less than to see it used in everyday life as opposed to negotiation or anger management or even extending, as um, Carmen spoke of it, the love for each other. So our society is is almost um, mesmerized by violence. Uh, our young people are mesmerized by violence. Everything they handle, every issue in schools, that are the, the way to um, handle a grievance is to strike out at each other. There's no thought of um, another way of managing a situation. Also, and when, you add, when you add power to that, who's empowered over another with women, um, being often less empowered, children being less empowered. I mean, you come out also of authoritarian, militarized governments and how those are usually stacked with um, um, gender bias in them. You, when you have the, the power to, and also at the same time, the lack of respect for, um, for women, the lack of um, power for children, and violence is really used every day for those who are less empowered. Yes, and um, as we know, the core, the center of violence is power. Power and control. Yes. And when when you have when you have, and that's at all level, every single level, the imbalance of power that create violence. Uh, and when you have, for example, um, I gonna, I know, I know what your point is, um, but the when you have in a country a military, uh, let's say a car, I gonna say car, a military car, as for example in Congo, uh, you have the UN uh, with all these big white cars. And a uh, big, long, uh, I don't remember names of those arms right now, patrolling the street, um, that's intimidation. If you have that here in a city and you have a car of the police uh, driving slowly or driving as fast or with the light on or passing for the, by the street 
three or four times, that's intimidation. And that's also uh, perpetrating violence because they are using the power that they have to intimidate people. And let me tell you that the principle, and, and probably, you know, you can say I'm exaggerating, but again, I'm always ready for challenges. There's the principle that the, that particular police car is using is the same principle that a perpetrator of violence is using at home. It's mm-hmm. using the power that they have to intimidate the people. And intimidation comes controlling. So it is, a, definitely it is, as I said, it is the center of violence using the power. And what we're talking about on Russo's transformation is recognizing that, yes, you have a power, but let's, say how, let's see how it is that you can use that power to make the change and to make the transformation and to stop the violence. Carla, let so, me so, ask you about your work in, in Ghana. Uh, have you had discussions about uh, implementation or affecting uh, public policy on the issue of violence against women and children? Yes, I mean, that is the, that has been the focus of my research. And what I was looking at is how um, women in Ghana and in other parts of Africa were able to successfully look at international law, to look at CEDAW and the conventions for the elimination of all all forms of discrimination against women and use that international law to say, you know, our country, we have signed on to this, and the Ghanaian Constitution says once you sign on to international law, it must be domesticated. Um, Use it to create national public policy. And this had not been done. So the women used that um, to, to create their own women's manifesto for Ghana and to write um, law to make changes and um, to protect themselves and protect children against violence in Ghana. And they worked for 10 years to be able to domesticate the laws and to bring about um, um, policy. So they focused on policy and legislative and legislation advocacy, and they went throughout the country. They did a five-year study because then you had um, government members of parliament, mainly men, saying, well, what violence? Prove to us that they're violent. But um, in Ghana, they say statistics, one in three women are victims of domestic violence, and they went around the country to do these uh, focus groups, to do surveys, to talk to women in the villages and the cities and of all um, ethnic groups of all religions to um, to really to put on put in black and white the situation of violence in Ghana, and then they came back and they um, wrote they had a coalition of for domestic violence legislation made of men and women um, to uh, enact laws. So the first thing is that we we don't if we don't have policies that determine that this is illegal and this will not be tolerated and women had nothing to, to to hold on to, nothing to call up the police or for, and they had no um, safe havens, no places to go. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, if you go home, you're sent back to your husband. Um, mm-hmm. 
So they worked really um, hard to say this is just one aspect of the battle, but it is an important aspect that we make sure that it is recognized as illegal, that is recognized as a public health issue, as a um, issue of underdeveloping the country if um, women and children are beaten um, to this level. So um, that, I focused on how women in Ghana use in a national public policy to create national public policy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you and Carmen need to connect up here, and I have posted in our chat room how people can learn more about Roots of Transformation at www.rootsoftransformation.wordpress.com. And Roots is also on Facebook. So there is a way of getting in touch with Carmen through the website and through the Facebook page. Uh, It sounds like you're doing some interesting and important and critical work in the motherland. And I I, I think that it is important because uh, one of the things that uh, we do think about, especially in a country like Liberia, we think it's American-like in terms of these kinds of social issues, uh, in terms of the kinds of culture that helps to empower women and, and children, and it's not necessarily so. 267, thank you so very much for your call. Um, we uh, have thank been... you very, very much, and I will look forward to getting in touch with uh, Ms. Carmendale. Rosario, and I thank her for her work, and I thank you so much for this um, radio program. Well, thank, thank you, and we hope you'll stay with us each Saturday night. If we could, if we could get um, a listenership, we would be back five days a week with in a heartbeat. But it's hard to get black people to want to talk about what's critical. <laughs> and well, of course, you know we have to we have to learn. I'm so glad that I learned about your program, and I learned about your program through Dr. Um, Francis Rogers Rose, and um, so I so I was able to tune in. So we have to share the information about good programs like this that are on, so that um, we have a place to learn and to share and hear. So um, well, I well, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. I'm I'm so glad that you joined us again. And that's my good sister, Dr. LaFrances Rogers-Rose, for over a long period of time. And for those of you who are listening, if you do not know, we do have a Facebook page, OCG Talk, and we do have a website, ourcommonground-talk.ning.com, ourcommonground.com, and we also have our blog, ourcommongroundtalk.wordpress.com. And you can reach me through Twitter at Janice OCG, hashtag talk that matters. Carmen, um, <clears throat> before, we, before we were talking with the uh, caller 267, and it sounds like uh, she is deep in the work in Ghana, Tell us about how Roots of Transformation, what you, this is a new organization, and, 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 but it is work that you have been doing for quite a number of years. Tell us about how it's organized, how people can 
can get involved, can help. Uh, and I also want to talk a little bit about your interrelationship in doing this work with government. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, yes, as as you're saying, this uh, this is the work that you know I have been doing for many many years, and uh, it came to when in Liberia the idea of formalize it um, and to develop uh, an organization which you know is focusing on looking at the roots of the issue, and and uh, in Liberia. Uh, we work in partnership with uh, some religious uh, organizations, but also with the government in Liberia. And I, I need to say that the Liberia government is uh, uh, Liberia as a country has is in a in a stage of development, as you know. Uh, there was a 40 years old. Um, uh, war, a, a war for 14 years in Liberia, and Liberia was completely destroyed. Uh, the president um, is very committed to to the development of the country and also supporting uh, the issue of violence against women and girls. Uh, and the Ministry of Gender is uh, uh, again, you know, committed to working. Uh, and supporting organizations, uh, local organizations that are um, addressing this issue. Uh, Roots of Transformation is a local NGO in Liberia, um, and soon is going to be uh, an, uh, also an NGO here in America. The, we are working in Liberia with uh, different sectors of the government, and also different uh, with religious leaders from different uh, denominations, the, and with community-based organizations, uh, we work in partnership with uh, local uh, leaders from the villages, uh, religious leaders, but also traditional leaders, uh, and looking at. Uh, Again, looking, working from different with different sectors of the government, and but also different sector of the community. Uh, and one of the important things that I want to say about virtual transformation is that we are not looking at people as survivors or perpetrators, but we are looking at people as people. So there's no this fragmentation of who is the uh, perpetrator of, of uh, even though we know we're working with perpetrators, but that's not the entrance. They are not coming to us because they are perpetrators, but they're coming to us because we are uh, offering uh, so, uh, programming that are addressing issues affecting them. Uh, the idea, again, is to work with systems from the individual perspective. For example, we Liberia has some new laws. We have an anti-rape law, which uh, it didn't have before, and also have the, uh, uh, there's a draft of uh, domestic violence law, which didn't have before. Uh, 
the again uh, we are, and I say we because <laughs> for some reason I feel like you know I am from Liberia. <laughs> Uh, we are in the process. <laughs> we are in the process also of um, actually the government open a, uh, a lab to a forensic lab uh, to better support the survivors of rape. Uh, mm-hmm. We work in close. We are closely with the uh, uh, health sector, with doctors, nurses, midwives. Uh, and um, ser- uh, all the services uh, that are there for women, girls, and men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, Carmen, one of the things we want to make sure is that uh, Roots of Transformation is open for people, for volunteers, for people who want to help develop roots of transformation in this country because I think that this model is going to be, it should, if we are committed to breaking the school to prison pipeline, Mm -hmm. if we are committed to breaking the barriers from which white supremacy, that white supremacy has, has created, If we are willing, because it doesn't seem like there's going to be any let-up in this Congress or any Congress for the future to support and empower poor people and working people and families in this country, that we are going to have to put into place some kind of reconciliation and reconstruction model in our community to secure our survival, people. Securing our survival because we can't look to the president. We've learned that. We can't look to the Congress. We can't look to these governors. And we certainly have to spend so much of our time breaking the chains of voter suppression and civic participation. So all of this is going to have to happen at a local level. Carmen, you know that my dream for you, and I dream for you, my dear friend, (laughs) is that there is a Roots of Transformation Center in every major city and every major rural area, like the Mississippi Delta, like in Alabama, like Mm -hmm. in down there in Florida to support black people who are uh, black people, poor people, and poor families who are under siege economically, educationally, and they have no access to real participation as citizens in this country. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at it that way, you are looking at it in the same way that women and children are looking at the military sexual assault, rape, pillage in the Congo, in Rwanda, in Liberia, in Mali, in Ghana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have got, I mean, if you have a, you know, we're always talking about our world view. Well, uh, you know, Carmen, you know I like to say, well, baby, honey, sugar, 
This mm-hmm. is the worldview. Yes, you have it is. got to see the world through the lenses of the world. You cannot see the lens. If I looked at who I am and what I have, I will never see poor people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Carmen, I am hoping that we can help you in any way. You know that I will help you in any way that I can. I will give you my children and my grandchildren. (laughs) 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 Who are away, and I'm hoping you will show up. They're all gone, Carmen. They're all gone. (laughs) So you can show up for coffee in the morning, and we won't be interrupted. (laughs) I still have some coffee. I still have some of the... Some of the Tanzania coffee that you brought me. <laughs> Thank you. I saved it. I saved it. But my dear friend, this program will continue to talk about the model. And and the thing is that you're a history maker. You've made history in this country in terms of the treatment and the and the organizations. I mean, you know that Ann Smith and and Oliver, I can't think of his name right now, all those people. Oliver Williams. Oliver Williams, exactly. Mm -hmm. Those are people who are key in the fight against violence against women and children in this country, and they all treat you as though and talk about you as though you were royalty because you hit, as they say, the mother load Mm -hmm. when you begin to understand that violence is not just intimate partner violence. It's not just interfamily violence. It's a bigger thing than all of that. So thank you so very much for joining me. I know you, um, <coughs> excuse me, that you have a lot of work before you uh, this week before you go back onto the continent to do your work. And... Um, I want to thank you so much for your big heart, for your big sacrifices that you make. People do not underestimate what it means when you say a woman walks into Goma Mm -hmm. to work with men who have, have committed the worst kinds of crimes against humanity. Um, people ought to know that you were constantly, your, I mean, I, I was constantly talking on the air about it, but you were constantly you're under, under threat. And your life was, was not safe. No, yeah. And I, I was, was so glad when you got the hell out of the Congo. You have <laughs> no idea. Even though the work that you did there is important and it will resonate, in that country for a very long time, because you've Actually, got yes, I, I keep receiving email from from the team there, um, which I I definitely don't take the whole credit, but also to them because this one other thing that uh, I don't think I mentioned was that even though I'm no longer in Tanzania, this program continues there, and uh, I'm no longer in Congo. The program is continuing there, and uh, when I leave Liberia and I go to Mali, it, the program going to continue there. So the idea is to 
to uh, I mean to plan the sea and to for national people as we call it local people to take over and continue with them. So the one of the emails I received last week from Congo was that this is a program for a nation, not only for one or two individuals, but for the whole country. So, and as you know, as you know me, I, I don't take the full credit for none of this. No one could do anything alone. Um, I also, you know, I really appreciate and love you, and I thank you for your support and for the, you know, support that you have been providing to me all these years. And I thank you for the opportunity of being of your, on your program tonight and to share with with the people uh, about the work that, you know, we have been doing in these places. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carmen. And uh, I know that you listen when you can, and uh, you have been uh, such a wonderful, wonderful friend to the women and children and men in, in, in such violent, torn regions of Africa, and we all thank you so very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, and this is for you. so much for being with us here at our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard from a woman who made the decision to stand. And we are, I, I'm just so pleased to be able to have her on the on the on the broadcast and we thank you for being with us and we thank 267 who called in and shared some of the things that she's been doing and that they are very important we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about some of the things that have been going on across the country this week quotes certain voice, verses in the Quran, in or out of context, calling for jihad and bloody war and the curse of Allah on infidels. This is the Old Testament biblical equivalent of calling for holy war. Now, most Americans will just see the bumper sticker and smile and think that it's facetious. Unfortunately, there are 22 million Americans or so who call themselves super conservative evangelicals. Of this, a small minority uh, might be violent, but the general atmosphere here is really getting heated. And what surprises me is that responsible, if you can put it that way, Republican leadership and the editors of some of these Christian magazines, et cetera, et cetera, do not stand up in holy horror and denounce this. You know, they're always asking, where is the Islamic leadership denouncing terrorism? Why aren't the moderates speaking out? Well, I'd challenge the folks who I used to work with that I talk about in my book, Patience with God, and I would just say to them, where the hell are you? This is not funny anymore. And be it on your head if something happens to our president, if you are going to go around supporting and not speaking out against this stuff. It's not just a question of who's doing it. 
The bigger question is, where are the people speaking out again, against these things? I don't hear those voices raised in the evangelical fundamentalist community. And until I do, I, and my opinion is they're culpable. And I, one last thing on this. I think it points up the fact that Obama's supporters, of which I have been one since he began running, had better start speaking up in support of him and not sniping him. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. It's the I Declare Show with India Declare. 11 a.m. Friday and Saturday. End your week and start your weekend with Real, Raw, and Right Now. 11 a.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Close your eyes for a second. What do you see? Am I black? White? Yellow? Red? Skin is just skin. No matter, no matter. No matter the color. Red, yellow, black, or white. We are all, we're, all the, we're all the same color. When we turn off the light. Really schooled me this week 
about something that happened. There was a problem with something that Colbert had tweeted, and he sent um, and and he sent the Twitter sphere into a spin. Uh, and a lot of people sent out tweets, uh, hash, hash, uh, hashtag cancel Colbert tweets in solidarity uh, because it was a, a tweet that, that seemed to be uh, from uh, Stephen Colbert, um, and it was satirizing um, Asian people. So... Um, one of the things that Brittany Cooper wrote was that she got the impulse from black people and those on the left who defended the show uh, in a pretty much um, um, tagger. She wrote that Colbert really has some of the best race commentary that we have going in this country and to lose that commentary would feel like a real loss in response to cancel Colbert ta- uh, hashtags. So, um, you know, and she, she went on to say we should be clear that embodiment matters. Stephen Colbert is a white man, and that means there has to be boundaries. And in this bit that he did with his character Ching Chong Ding Dong, He used slurs against one group to shed light on the absurdity of slurs against another group. But Cooper goes on with her razor-sharp thinking. But white people do not have a history of being devalued as white people on the basis of slurs. And she goes on to talk about something that I thought was absolutely brilliant. She talks about how we have to learn ways to be in solidarity with one another. Racism does not follow a simple white on black schema and while she wrote while she was aware of the pervasiveness of anti-black racism among all groups including Asians and Latinos that she knew how orientalism Uh, affected people, and it is unacceptable that black folks should be against all forms of other ethnic insensitivity and racism, period. Then she wrote this brilliant line, backslash, uh, hashtag, blacksplaining away another group's racial injury is not the business. Seriously, let's not make hashtag blacksplaining a thing. It sounds perilously close to backspinning, and backspinning on racism diminishes our moral authority. I thought that was brilliant. She came up with this term, blacksplaining. You know how blacksplaining goes. Now, you know how blacksplaining goes. Here's a little bit of blacksplaining that Stephen Smith did on the Arsenio Hall show this week, talking about the comments 
that Kobe Bryant made in regard to his obligation to the community from which he comes. And I will undernote, highlight, with the, with the yellow highlight pen, that black people supported him when his ass almost went to jail for rape. Yeah, uh, Kobe's quote was, I won't react to something just because I'm supposed to, comma, because I'm an African-American. He was asked about the Trayvon Martin situation. Uh, obviously, for those who don't know, the 17-year-old kid who was uh, killed in Florida, uh, gunned down, and uh, the uh, assailant got off. Um, and essentially, what is the situation? Kobe Bryant spoke about it because he was asked about it, and he brought up how the Miami Heat had brought attention to it by putting on all their hoodies mm-hmm. and, and bringing attention to it. So what did they do, an Instagram they, at that they, time? they did an Instagram, and they did a photo, all of them having their hoodies on, because they wanted to bring attention to the fact that this young African-American kid had been gunned down, and they wanted the situation investigated, which it ultimately was, and the guy was tried and ultimately got off. Kobe Bryant basically has the attitude that justice should be equal no matter what, whether in regards to race or gender. And that was his position. All he was trying to say was that, excuse me, let's listen to the facts first. Let's make sure we know everything before we jump out and judge accordingly. You can't sit there and take somebody's side just because they're an African-American. You can't turn around and assume or think that people from other races are going to ever be fair to you if you're not willing to exercise fairness yourself. Lay back, listen to the facts, and then accord justice where it should be served. And I don't have a problem with that. Me personally, I definitely think that he was right on point with that. I know a lot of black people are going to be upset about that. And as I told you before, well, like I told you when I like Twitter went crazy, when I give a damn, I'll let you know. The fact of the matter is, is that we as a nation of people, as a community, we make up 14% of the population in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. We are not even the dominant minority anymore. That's the Hispanic population in this country. We have to recognize that we are outnumbered. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, even though the system sometimes is unjust and sometimes is unfair, it doesn't accord us the license to be unfair as well. We have to make sure that if we're shining a light on issues, that we're just as fair-minded as we're asking other people to be towards us. Because if we're not willing to do that, then we don't have a strong argument. And if we don't have a strong argument, it's impossible for us to win. And we're already a losing proposition to begin with because we're outnumbered. So you rise. Wait, did that man just say we're a losing proposition? Is that the, that is the most, that is the most outstanding example of hashtag blacksplaining that Brittany Cooper is talking about. My question is, uh, what did Kobe Bryant say about justice? And here is this clown, Stephen Smith, who is saying he won't, He's saying the same thing that Brian said to criticize the Miami Heat's support of Trayvon Martin, justice for Trayvon Martin. Kobe Bryant said, I won't react to something just because I'm supposed to because I'm African American. That argument doesn't make any sense to me. So we want to advance as a society and a culture, but say if something happened to an African-American, we immediately come to his defense. Yet you want to talk about how far we've progressed as a society. 
Eat your words, boy. Eat your words. Naji Ali, the director of Project Islamic Hope, called for a, a boycott of, of, of Kobe Bryant's uh, merchandise. And once that happened, Bryant quickly tried to clarify his position in a tweet by saying Trayvon was wrong, that's my opinion, and that's what I believe. The facts showed the system did not work, hashtag my opinion. You see, um, we have got to somehow get it right. And blacksplaining is not the way to do it. It's almost as Brittany uh, Cooper pointed out this week in Salon in Salon um, E Magazine that it sounds like close to backspinning, and it diminishes our moral authority. And I absolutely agree with her. So, so thank you so very much for being with us tonight. I especially want to thank our caller, two six seven, uh, who found us through our good friend, uh, Dr. La Francis Rogers Rose, and Rose Rogers Rogers Rose. I'm sorry, and my friend Carmen Del Rosario, who will surely show up for coffee in the morning. And uh, we've we've. We are just, we have some brilliant, innovative, loving people in our communities, and we ought to be so proud of them and learn from them. Um, I thank you so very much for being with with me tonight here. Next Saturday night, Witness from the Bridge, Dr. Joyce A. Ladner, and we're wishing her um, a a real full recovery and health as she fights um, a bronchial infection uh, this weekend. Thank you so much. Uh, Peace go with you, and uh, we will see you next Saturday night here at Our Common Ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. Don't forget, on Tuesday night at TruthWorks Network, the premiere of Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews at 9 p.m. It'll be at 9 p.m. So um, we hope you'll join him. And Alpha next Friday night at 10 p.m. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Speak truth to power and yourself. I woke up this morning thinking about the old me when I was feeling like Miller Light and O.E. 
But now I ride on some conscious I'm getting bread while I go to my accomplishments Only one like I have a problem with is myself That's probably why my only competition is myself From today to tomorrow The doctor just rock to the same drum The past, so I ain't forgot where I came from uh, I got the club Who are you? When you don't know when you should have done, but you didn't. When you should have, but you don't. When you can't find, won't ask, can't say what you want. Who are you? When you recognize that you have accepted, tolerated, and accommodated stuff from them or him or her that has diminished yourself. Just who are you? Thank you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. A special thanks to our chatters in our chat room. Join us on Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and our website at OurCommonGround.com. Twitter, follow at JaniceOCG. Have a great weekend. See you next week and join us on TruthWorks on Wednesdays and Fridays, 10 p.m. Transforming Truth to Power, one broadcast at a time. So I'm asking you for the truth. I know the truth. I know enough. And so what I'm asking you is, what is your in-game?